Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Understanding this Gospel Series 2, Part 7, we're still exploring the audience of the gospel. We ended off in a very nice place last week. Very, very nice place by saying that we have changed mountains. Changed mountains. We have come to Mount Zion. That's the mountain we are on. We have not come, Hebrews 12 says, we have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched. That's the mountain they went to. The mountain they were on was a mountain that could not be touched because it burns with fire. Right? But we have come to a mountain that can be touched. We have come to a mountain that is a person. I said last week that we have come to Mount Zion and that that Mount Zion is a person. Because further down in Hebrews 12, it says you have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant, of a new testament. So we're going to continue to look at how the message has been there for all ages. And today we're going to turn to a lot of scripture. A lot of scripture. We're going to turn to a lot of scripture. We're going to look at probably like a hundred scriptures because we're, before we're out of here today. Because someone needs to understand, when we, when we say th- certain things, we're not just laying claim. When we say that the entire scriptures are the message of Christ, it's not a fallacy. It's not a joke. The fact that people haven't sat down to study and pull the dots together doesn't invalidate the truth. In other words, something is not false just because you cannot verify it. Does that make sense? Truth is truth regardless of whether or not you or the hearer can verify it. Truth does not become true when it is verified. Does that make sense? It's not your verification that validates the truth. It is the truth that necessitates or calls you into verification for validation. Does that make sense? It's not like, well, I, I, I searched it out and I saw that it's true. No, it's true and therefore you search it out. That's what the Bereans did in Acts 17. And they didn't do that all the time. It wasn't every time that Paul taught that they would go and search to see if those things were true. It was when they heard the gospel for the first time. And they were not Berean believers, they were Berean Jews. Because in Acts 17, he just came from Thessalonica and then got to Berea and began to speak. And they were hearing the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time as opposed to the teachings of the law of Moses that Jesus said, that till today, at the time he was speaking, Moses continues to be taught in their synagogues. You know, Peter said that in the book of Acts. So at the time that they were writing the scriptures, there were people that were still teaching Moses daily in synagogues. The guys in Berea were hearing what was not the most message of the law, even though it was. Because the law is the message of Christ. But you have to look at it from the lens of Christ to see that it's a message of Christ and not a message in itself. Make sense? So they were hearing the message of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. And they were hearing the apostles preach this message from the same scriptures they knew. Does that make sense? So they began to search out what the apostles had said from the same scriptures to verify that it was so. So what caused the Berean believers to search out the, the teachings of the apostles was because they were teaching from the same scriptures a different message. So if you're teaching Christ from Moses, how come we didn't see him when we read Moses? Okay, now, but you're teaching Christ from Moses. You know, let's go and look at Moses again. 
Does that make sense? Let's go and look at Moses again to see if we can see what you saw when you read Moses. Make sense? So most times the argument is that people have not understood that the entire counsel of God is the message of Christ Jesus. And over the years we have picked all kinds of stuff and taught it, which is great because at, at surface value, the scriptures can have some benefit. At surface value, surface. It can have some benefit. Some. You can learn a bit of relationships from the scripture. Now the problem is if you go and read relationships from David or from Esther or from Naomi and you don't see that in the light of Christ, you will get it wrong. Does that make sense? You get it wrong. If you go and study how, how much of a husband David was, for instance, and look at how much of a husband uh, uh, Job was or Noah was, or you know, you know how we always pick these things and study. And you don't look at it in the light of the New Testament, we're going to have a problem. Make sense? So the entire scriptures are one gospel. We've established that so far from this part one of this series that we have converged in part five to establish that it was one gospel that was preached. Right? As highlighted in today's word for today, the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace that Paul says, having, remember, the battle-ready believer, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Right? It's also the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? It's the gospel of his grace. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same gospel. It might be referred to differently, but it's the same gospel. And this gospel has been heard for all ages. Same gospel. I said last week that the gospel is not what is new generation. It's the lie that is new. It's the lie that is new. When the serpent came to tempt man in the garden, God had already indicated his will for man. He already told man that you were like me. So eat of me. Do not eat of what will give you the opportunity or the ability to know what is of me and what is not. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if man had not eaten that tree, he would not have even known what it means to walk opposite God. Does that make sense? Because he was wired to just be in the image of God and therefore operate like God in the earth. That's what qualified him to eat the tree of life. So what the serpent sold to man was a new generation message. You want to be like God, do something. Remember that? So he introduces works into what was otherwise only attainable by faith. Make sense? That's it. And then John begins to write later on, hundreds if not thousands of years later, and says many have crept in among you unnoticed. Jude says the same thing. Paul says the same thing in Galatians. So anytime you see somebody opposing the grace of God, opposing the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the person that is creeping in. It's not the grace of God that is creeping in. It's people trying to pervert the grace of God that are creeping in. So they are the new generation. 
They are the lie. So we must look at the message of the scriptures in its entirety and establish that these guys have always heard the gospel. I was reading an article this morning and somebody was making an interesting argument. And I was following him up until the point where he made reference to a brilliant theologian, by the way. And that's why I see why I tell you all the time that I, I read cautiously. You know, I was like investigating a, a, a couple of, of conundrums in scripture, one of the prophecies of Jesus, um, particularly the one that has to do with um, 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 Judah betraying him or sell Judas selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I've dealt with that a bit when I, when I taught you guys, some of you were not here. When I taught you guys, I can't remember the teaching now, but we talked about it, we looked at it from, this, from the story of Hosea, right? When Hosea was told to go and marry uh, a prostitute, you know, and then she ran away and had sons, and, and then God told him to go and buy her back for 20 shekels, which translates roughly in, in exchange to 30 pieces of silver. Uh, which was the price paid for the redemption of someone that had gone wayward by force. Yeah. Right? Remember that? So I was investigating that scripture again in the light of a couple of scriptures I saw in, 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 in Jeremiah 26 and in Jeremiah 19 and in Zechariah 11, you know, trying to investigate and tie up the prophecy that was fulfilled in Matthew 26 about when Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and when he, um, he gave it to them and then when he realized what he had done, he went back into the temple court and threw the money in. You know, and he was talked about, he was talked about prophesied similarly in, in, in Zechariah 11 and then made reference to in Jeremiah 26 and then made another reference in Jeremiah 19. And then this guy's arguing that, that, that Matthew got it wrong when he referred to those people for the fulfillment of the prophecy. And I'll come to that later today. And so somebody else came and, and made an interesting point. Then the author of the article then rebutted and said that there are instances in scripture where certain things are said but not written, which I agree with as a theologian. I agree to that. And some of you might not be interested in this, but it's necessary to make my point. Those of you who are following can follow. As a theologian, I understand that by virtue of the dynamics of scripture, there are things that are written that are quoted from what were written. And there are things that are written that were quoted from what was said. Now, the confusion of Bible students is that we don't take time to understand and establish the difference between what was said and what was written. The fact that something was said does not necessarily mean it was written. The fact that it was written does not mean it was said. So when you're reading through scriptures, you see where, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the word saying, for instance, in the Greek, there's no word called saying. Saying is a... Is a uh, what you call it, a punctuation that suggests we are about to tell you what somebody said. Does that make sense? So there's nothing called saying in Koine Greek, in the original Greek. There's nothing like saying. So what you see saying is it is a, a punctuation that refers to a quote being opened. Does that make sense? And that would naturally refer, by the time we say, uh, this was always written in the book of Isaiah, saying, what the Greek writer is trying to infer is that what is following next is what Isaiah said. As was written. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? Yes, and there are other times, if you study carefully, you'll find where it just says something about a person without, without using the word saying. Yes, so, quoting the person without necessarily suggesting that it was written. This is how we struggle with the references to Enoch in the book of Jude, where Enoch is quoted as having said something. But in the Bible accounts, there's no indication anywhere of Enoch having said what they said he said. Yes, 
Does that make sense? That then gave occasion, and I'm speaking my own purely theological opinion now, that then gave occasion to a certain rogue book called the Book of Enoch. It's part of the apocryphal writings. If you are, if you are a Catholic or you're you know, a scholar, you understand the apocryphal writings. The Maccabees, you know, Edras, Thomas, and Tobith, and a couple of them guys. And the book of Enoch. So while they do that, they now try and capture Jude's reference to Enoch. Because if Jude said, Enoch said, let us produce what Enoch said. Most times I don't refer to theology when I teach, but I'm a studied theologian. And it helps me sometimes. So they cook up this book of Enoch, which is absolute balderdash. Absolute gibberish. But it captures a little bit of what New Testament said, Enoch said. But, but by, by virtue of the fact that it's not, con- it's like when you read the book of Thomas. You know that what they are saying Thomas said is not consistent at all with the four gospels. So except if you are talking about another Thomas, not Thomas. You know there's a difference between Thomas and Thomas. <laughs> and you hear you read what this guy says, and know it's not consistent with what Thomas Didymus, who was with Jesus, would have said. So I take them with a pinch of salt. That leaves us still with the problem of explaining where Jude got his reference to Enoch from. That's why I said to you that when whatever questions you think you're struggling with. Calm down, we'll get there when we teach. We will teach and reach there. Yes, Amen? Amen? Let me add this phrase. If Jesus tarries. <laughs> I mean, if you grew up on that phrase, everything, say, oh, if Jesus tarries. I will see you this evening. If Jesus tarries. <laughs> so yeah, we'll teach and reach there. Should Jesus tarry? But we don't, we don't, we don't, most Bible scholars totally miss the point of the fact that something could have been said. Let me give another example. Peter is speaking in the book of Acts, talking about the ministry of Jesus. And then he now says, as our Lord himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't see that reference. But what reason do we have to doubt Peter's quotation of Jesus? What do we think Peter stands to gain by cooking up a phrase, attributing it to Jesus, and Jesus didn't say it? So the fact that it's not contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doesn't discredit the quotation. And this, is, this might help somebody who has been struggling with understanding and harmonizing certain parts of the scriptures. That it was said doesn't necessarily suggest it was written. John himself said in chapter 21, he said many other things Jesus didn't said. You remember? That were not recorded in this book such that if they were recorded, that I bet the world itself cannot have enough space to contain all the books that would have been written. I wonder if we think about that sometimes. So John literally took a figment, a small, minute, minuscule fraction of all he experienced and wrote down, and he explained why he wrote it down. 
these were written that you might believe. So he wrote, not enough to give you a historically accurate chronology. He wrote enough for you to believe. So these guys didn't set out to write every little teeny weeny thing that Jesus did and said. They wrote enough for you to believe. When Luke wrote Luke and Acts, he wrote them to Theophilus. To one person. I know we say he wrote to the Gentiles. He wrote to one person. He was following that person in his faith. Giving him accounts. Does that make sense? Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Doesn't mean that he wrote everything. So Peter says, as our Lord himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you don't see that in the Summer on the Mount. You don't see that in the Beatitudes. You don't see that in any of the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit that inspired Peter, because the same Peter that says holy men. Yeah? Moved by God. Wrote as they were inspired. The Holy Spirit that inspired Peter to write that Jesus said. Is strong enough to have reminded Peter that Jesus said, even if it was not written. It's the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So we see references like that, and that easily then explains the Enoch conundrum. Because if the Spirit of God inspired Jude to write, which he did, and he inspired Moses to write Genesis when Moses was not yes, there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, come on. Who is here now? <laughs> Moses was not there in the beginning. But he saw the beginning when he saw the back of God. Moses did not write about Moses in a basket because his mother told him. Because there are things that then happened in the palace and in Goshen and in Egypt that his mother would not have been privy to. She was a slave. (laughs) Are you here today? So Moses did not write about Moses because his mother told him. Moses wrote about Moses because God showed him. Are you here? Moses wrote about Moses because God showed him. How do you think Luke would be writing? And they would say even John. And they're writing that you know what Jesus said to him, to them feed them. About the 5,000. And then you now see he says that Jesus said this to test them. But he knew in his heart what he would do. Who told him? Jesus hearing the state of their heart then said who told them the state of Jesus' heart? Even that we have received the spirit of God that is granted unto us to know. So how did he know? By the gossip of the spirit. (laughs) Do you understand? By the aproko of the Godhead. Do you understand? Who wakes him up and says, open your eyes. Let me show you what happened in time past. Let me show you what happened in time past. So Moses starts to write Genesis. It's called the first book of Moses. Who shows up nearly 300 years after the first tribe of 70 people of Joseph went to Egypt. Because when Joseph became prime minister, he sent for his father. And the Bible says, records that 70 of them went up to Egypt. It was that 70 that became the first immigrants of Israel into Egypt. That now lasted 430 years. 
Does that make sense? Now, if Moses was 40 years old when he ran out of Egypt, stayed in Jethro's care in the wilderness for another 40 years, because he was 80 when he went back to Egypt and started the journey of getting Israel out to the promised land, which he saw at 120. Then he died. Make sense? It would have meant that by the time uh, uh, Moses was 80 years old, going back to Egypt, that was the end of a 430-year period. Make sense? If you deduct 40 years to when Moses was 40, when he ran away, it would mean that they had been in Egypt for 390 years. You deduct another 40 years, it would mean that he would have been born when they had been in captivity for 350 years. Does that make sense? So Moses was born to meet his people enslaved for 350 years before him. So there's details that he did not have. Except if it was shown to him. Are you here? So if we understand that we've established all that, then it's not difficult to understand and agree to the fact that God would have woken up Jude by his spirit. And so you know Enoch said this. And Judah write it down saying, Enoch said, with or without corroborative evidence of people who existed in the times of Enoch. Because don't forget, in Jewish culture, a lot of what they knew was handed down orally. A lot of Jewish culture was handed down orally. The Egyptians began to write first. The first literate people. The first font types that exist in handwriting are from Egypt. So in case you didn't know, they first birthed the art of writing, the art of calligraphy, the art of chronicling events, the act of graphically illustrating events. It's Egyptians. And then Israel and other civilizations begin to borrow from that. Before then, all they had was always handed down orally. That's why most of the law was given in song form. So you sang it over and over. Make sense? So he tells Jude, you know, what Enoch said. Doesn't necessarily mean what Enoch wrote. And that explains a lot. Now this article then, this guy's then arguing and then he's saying, but um, you know, so this one of these other um, professors responds to this guy's article and says, um, there, are, there are instances in scripture, for instance, like Jesus saying that um, 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 your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. You know, he says before Abraham was, I am. And then this guy who had submitted a brilliant article then comes back and says, and this is where I got really sad, and go back and said that there is no way in the scriptures to verify where Jesus was quoting from or what Jesus was referring to when he said, Abraham longed to see my day and saw it and was glad. So he studied with the wrong eyes. Because this guy, being a rational, intellectual thinker, expects that if Jesus said, he should be able to pick this Bible, flip to a particular page, and see exactly what Jesus said, how Jesus said he said it. And so that's where the guy gets lost. He's like, no, that there's no way to verify Jesus' claim. 
that your father Abraham longed to see my day. Because there's no way, and he says, he says, if we share the same Bible, then take up your Bible and point me to any place where it is on record that Abraham saw the day of Jesus. Thus implying that these transcribers made a bit of mix-ups here and there. They called it sleep of pen in theological literacy. He made a sleep of pen somewhere when he attributes something that Jesus said to the Old Testament. But you see, some of us, sir, we have seen him. And he's clearly splashed across the pages of the scriptures. Hidden in plain sight. And we're going to look into a bit more of that so you can understand that one, this gospel is one. Two, this gospel is what has been preached for all ages. I mean, we took time to look at Noah, and that was beautiful. Yeah, that was beautiful. So we'll look at a few more. Let's go to Genesis chapter 49. Are you ready today? Genesis 49 and 10. Genesis 49, 10. The scepter shall not depart. This is Jacob blessing his sons, right? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of his people. This is why we say as New Testament believers that Shiloh has come. The New Testament believers reality is that Shiloh came to you. Yes sir. Yes sir. Yes sir. Are you people ready for this? Thing? It was the Old Testament guys that went to Shiloh, went to Gilgal, went to Gilead, went to Mount Gerizim, went to Jerusalem. Was Shiloh the person? Came to us. Tell your neighbor Shiloh came to us. So until Shiloh comes, and for us the believers, Shiloh has come. So we're not joining anywhere to look for God. We're not joining anywhere to encounter God. Not even to the hub. Nobody journeys anywhere to encounter God. We don't even need to look up to encounter God. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Clear reference. To Jesus might not be so clear, but let's look at Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter seven, twelve through to sixteen. Pay attention. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, God is telling David, "I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, house." They thought building. I told you last week when Haggai says, 
And Joel says the glory of the latter house. Glory. Latter house. Glory. House. Latter. Glory. The glorification of the latter house. And I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. (laughs) And he shall be my son. God is telling David. If he commits iniquity, hear this carefully. I will, I, I, will chasten him with the rods of men. And with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Your seed. This guy did better or worse depending on how you look at it. He did better than commit iniquity or he did worse than commit iniquity. He became it. So David is saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, be done to me according to your word, be done to me according to your word. And then he thought, oh, yeah, Solomon is coming. You know what? God has told me that Solomon will build a house. Let me make sure before I die that every single material Solomon needs to build this house, I will make it available. Cedars from Lebanon, gold, diamond, silver, packed up, stored up for Solomon. He built, but it was not the house. Because this house cannot be one made with human hands. Are you here? He says your seed, right? And Jesus promised this seed will come from your body. Matthew. I said you look at so much scripture today. And this one is quite simple, actually. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then from David straight to Abraham. That seed of Abraham is that seed that came from David. Seed of Abraham, roots of Jesse, son of David, same difference. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham. So God is speaking through, it was Nathan the prophet that was giving David this prophecy in 2 Samuel. So God is speaking through Nathan to David about Jesus while David is thinking of Solomon. Same thing that's happening in church today. God is telling us something about someone, but we're looking somewhere else. And so we're seeing something else. Isaiah 42. Same, same thrust. This is that I write in scripture. should be beautiful. Just write the scripture, then write reference when I show you. Just write, write the scripture, then write reference, and then write the next one next to it. 
Does that make sense? That way you just connect your entire Bible together and you realize it's one book with one message. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. <laughs> 42 and 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My elect one. If you're using New King James, you see capital E, capital O. Isaiah. My elect one in whom my soul delights. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Heavens opened, Spirit of God as a dove came upon him, God spoke. Our God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, Acts 10, 38, and with power who went about doing good. Look for Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. I have put my Spirit upon him. Capital H. Capital S. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. How can the Jews be enjoying covenant that Gentiles are not enjoying? That's not justice. It's just the Jews forming. We are the people of God. We are the commonwealth of Israel. That's not fair to the Gentiles. And I love everybody equally. Jesus will equalize it. Justice to the Gentiles. Mm. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. Hear this carefully. Verse 2. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. I repeat. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. Nor cause his voice <laughs> to be heard in the street. Three, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth, he will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Matthew chapter 12. So now, after Isaiah 42, you will write reference. Matthew chapter 12. Let the fun begin. I need a few verses. I will highlight some as I go along. But remember Isaiah 42. I read from verse 1. I read from verse 1 to about 21. Thereabout, I'll pick out a few verses. At that time, verse 1. I love this scripture, man. Matthew 12. Jeez. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields when? So when is the setting for this narrative? Sabbath. Pay attention to it. Sabbath meaning day of? Rest. Remember rest consciousness? Yes. Good. Sabbath being the day of? Rest. rest. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus the troublemaker. Oh my days. Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. On the, somebody say on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. I need you to, to sink in your head. And his disciples were hungry. And began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. On the Sabbath. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look. They said to Jesus, look. Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Which is what? Pick up grains to eat. But he said to them. (laughs) Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread. Which, you know the showbread was never eaten. It was just always presented fresh. And then taken out and fresh one. So there were bakers, they were baking bread that God would never eat. 
King James calls it shoe bread. Yeah? Permit me to say it's bread that was baked for show. So Jesus says how he went into the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So only priests could partake of the bread that was for sure. I, I, I feel like jumping ahead of myself. But... Um, Priests in the room, please lift your hands up. What does that qualify you for? So now, link this with church consciousness. First Corinthians 5. You have all partaken of the one bread. Why? Because we are priests. 2 Peter 2.9, right? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Revelations 4, Revelations 9, he has made us a kingdom of priests to our God. So Jesus is telling them, only priests can eat this bread that otherwise is for everybody else is bread of show. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Stay here and give me tipity. Let's trash this matter today. Tipity. And haven't you read in the Torah, that's the writings of Moses, the Old Testament, that the priests violated the rules of the Sabbath by carrying out their duties in the temple on a Saturday and yet they are without blame. NLT, same verse 5. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may walk on the Sabbath? So those that enforced the Sabbath were not bound by the Sabbath. Jesus is telling them. They profaned the Sabbath. The, the right rendition of profane is they desecrated the Sabbath. Now you can look at me and be funny in your face all you want. Ma, it's Jesus that is speaking. So you can shoot the messenger. That's your problem. Jesus is the one speaking. You can't say you are a believer and reject the word of Jesus. By which? Is it not written that the priest profaned, desecrated, disregarded, broke, violated, rubbish, the Sabbath and were without blame? When I saw this scripture, I was on this scripture for like five hours. Because first of all, I start to investigate. Eh? Jesus said this. Yeah. That's what started my research. 
Because I feel like Jesus said this. Son of man has been around Genesis to Revelation a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been, I've read my Bible, few, I won't tell you how many times, I've read my Bible a few times. So son of man is supposed to know where such an indicting statement was made. Then I sat down and began to understand that what Jesus will do in the days of writing the scriptures is he will in fact, I saw something, oh my God, I saw something in the Talmud, the Jew- Jewish writing of film, that actually says that anybody who quotes the Old Testament word for word has told a lie. Oh yes. Anybody who quotes the Old Testament, you say this is what the Old Testament said, and you just showed it to me, you lied. Because the Jewish rabbis and scribes, Samuel, understood that each time the Old Testament was quoted, it should be quoted to be explained or it will not make any sense to you and therefore it will open you up to interpret it anyhow you like. So the Old Testament was never to just be quoted and left. So anybody that just took Old Testament and quoted it and left it lied. Because he's left it open for you to deduce whatever meaning or whatever interpretation you want from it. He hits me all over the face. So each time the Old Testament is quoted, it must be explained in the light of what the quotation meant. So when I looked at that, I began to look at Jesus, where did, where did he say that they profaned the Sabbath and were without blame? Then I understood that what Jesus did was he collated. Yes. He collated inferences from the Old Testament that all had to do with what he used one sentence or one verse to explain. So Jesus was not quoting the Old Testament verbatim. He was submitting a finding based on references to relevant portions of the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Now we'll start to look at some of them. Let's start with 1 Chronicles. Remember this, we're in Matthew 12. We're only in verse 5. We're going all the way (laughs) to 21. But let me just explain verse 5. Are you here? First Chronicles 9.32. Did you read in the law that the priests who profaned the Sabbath were profaned it and were, and were blameless? Now, see First Chronicles 9.32. And some of their brethren, of the sons of the Kohahites, were in charge of preparing that same showbread for every Sabbath. Or on the Sabbath. Because the showbread was prepared on the Sabbath, it had to be fresh bread. Yeah. It could not have been baked the day before the Sabbath. Yeah. Seeing as on the day of Sabbath is a day of rest, yeah. nobody should walk. Yeah. But the priests who were bakers. Because showbread cannot be yesterday's bread. Fresh bread. I know some of you canal people are now remembering how hungry you are right now as we're talking bread. But showbread is fresh. I see, I love how Jesus 
destroyed the law. You know what I said last week? That he, he removed the law. The law is not left standing on one leg. He tore it apart. Smashed it. Smashed it. They're in charge of preparing the showbread for the Sabbath. It gets juicier. Leviticus 24 and verse 8. Leviticus 24 and 8. Leviticus 24 and 8. Is anybody getting anything? Yes, and why are the priests in this room again? Yes, <laughs> Look at all you bread eaters. Leviticus 24 8. Every Sabbath, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. Being taken from the children of Israel by everlasting covenant, referring to the bread. Numbers 28, 9 and 10. I'm just explaining Matthew 12, and I'm doing it in a hurry. I'm explaining Matthew 12, 5. Numbers 28 and 9. And on the Sabbath day, somebody say on the Sabbath day. Please use your imagination and follow me. Two lambs in the first year, without blemish, two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, as the grain offering, mixed with oil, with its drink offering, verse 10. And on the Sabbath day, this is the bond offering. Hold on. For every Sabbath, besides the regular bond offering, excuse me, hold on. What is a bond offering? An offering, Sonny, that is burnt. And these burnt offerings were not burnt alive. Bleeding the blood, killing it, putting it on the altar, stripping the skin, removing the entrails. I don't have time for that, but there are parts of the body that were given for the priests and the Levites. Others that were thrown away, others were burnt whole before the Lord. All of that. Who was doing it? Hold on. Butcher priests. Who was doing the bread? Baker priests. So somehow, angel of Sabbath or death, Sabbath police is, is hurting. See, till today, Jews do not switch on a light switch on the Sabbath. Till today. You don't. If you didn't switch on that switch by nightfall of the previous day, Sabbath is nightfall to nightfall, not morning to night. It's sunset to sunset. Evening and morning. You don't turn on a switch. If you turn on a switch, you've broken the Sabbath. Yes, is that, is that serious? You don't get up and turn on the switch. So you want to keep the Sabbath? Be my guest. Truth of the matter is, you can't even keep it as body they do you. As your body is doing you like this, you keep the Sabbath. You can't. A bee is stinging you. And you can't swat it. You can't. Go and study the scriptures. That's so why I don't like arguing unnecessary arguments. You want to keep it, you don't like graces, go and keep the law. And stop disturbing us. While you are keeping the law, don't go anywhere when your menstrual period is on. While you are keeping the law, every time you shaved, you broke the law. It's in the Bible. Thou shalt not put any razor upon your face. I am the Lord. That's what he says in Leviticus. So every time you shave as a man, you broke the law. You shall not wear two fabrics upon your body. I am the Lord. Right now, everybody. 
Don't plant two crops on your farm. There's no way you, for instance, in Cross River State, there's no way you can plant cocoa without certain crops to stabilize it. You must plant some cassava or some maize or some legumes or something to hold up the cocoa and, and invigorate the ground to bring nutrients. And you have broken the law. Everybody that married, that raped you and you did not shout is your husband. Because according to the law, you should have screamed until the town center heard you. Except if you were in the countryside or in the, in, the, in the wilderness where nobody could have been within earshot. It's in scripture. So if somebody raped you, the person should count money and go and give your father and say, I raped her, so I made her my wife. So you want to keep the law? Find a place. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Get a cup of coffee and keep it. And let some of us who know that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How can we see these things and be arguing like ignoramuses? So most people that argue against this, they don't know what they're arguing against. They'll pull a face and be, be angry. So the baker guys broke the law and did not break it. Yes, sir. They did works that was not counted as works. The baker guys broke the law. The butcher guys broke the law. Kill the sow, the, the two, two, not one, two. Kill it, bled it, skinned it, put it on the fire, lit the fire, lit the fire, lit the fire. Because it, it, it's not burnt offering with water. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> A burnt offering has to burn. It does. It does. It does. Exodus 35. A burnt offering has to burn, right? Okay. Exodus 35 from verse 1 to 3. <laughs> Did you say a burnt offering has to burn? And to burn it needs what? Okay. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel. Go on, together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Verse 2. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be holy day for you. A Sabbath of Rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Verse 3. Don't walk on the Sabbath day. If you do any work, you're dead. Don't light a fire. Because lighting a fire is work. And it's liable to kill you. So you are there in your tent. You can't even kill a fly on your body. You can't even switch on light. Cold is catching you. You can't turn on a fire. You are seeing the tembalakot of meeting. You are seeing the tent. You are seeing where the Ark of Covenant is. You are seeing the outer court with the brazen lever. You are, and you are seeing fire being lit. Fire being burnt. And nobody being killed. 
if that is not telling you how much of a shadow Sabbath was and how that in itself Sabbath is nothing. Really. Really, really, really. Really, really, really. Sabbath is like smoke without fire. So imagine the Levites, all the priests were from the tribe of Levi. Yeah, all the priests were from the tribe of Levi. The musicians were from the tribe of Levi. The priests themselves in the outer court, the holy place, and of course the high priest that went into, the chief priest that went into the most holy place. They were all Levites. Imagine these other 11 tribes on the Sabbath. Looking at Levites and like, wow. Oh. See the life. Because this Levite that is mixing this shoe bread, he will taste the dough. How will you know if the thing have quantized? Let's add more milk. Two more eggs. Now it's ready for the Lord. For sure. They will be like, ah, see, fresh bread. Because for the rest of Israel, watch me, for the rest of Israel, they were eating yesterday's bread. Remember? Sixth day, you save for the sixth day and the seventh. Don't light a fire in your dwelling, but fire is burning. Amen. Priests are handling fire willy-nilly. You know, see them scoring around. You know, Jews, very small people. Carrying fire. And they were handling fire that wasn't burning them. Fire that wasn't consuming them. Jesus, it gets worse. John chapter 7. Jesus, oh, my love, Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 21 through to 23. Sit down, let's continue. John chapter 7, 21 to 20. Jesus answered. Who is speaking? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one walk, one walk, one walk. This is when he healed that person on the Sabbath. Right? He said, I did one work, and you all marvel. He entered them. Joseph learned something here. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Referring to Abraham. He gave you circumcision. And you circumcise a man. Yes, yes, yes. On the Sabbath. Jesus is challenging them. See, I healed one healing. You are making noise. Moses gave you circumcision. It's not even him that gave you. Collected it from the fathers and gave you. And you can circumcise on the Sabbath. 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that means if a child was born and the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, you will not say, I will not circumcise you because it's Sabbath. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what he was saying. If it's Sabbath, so that the law of Moses, go on, should not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? End of story. See verse 24. See verse 24. It says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. See, think about it. Who is handling Sabbath here? That's what Jesus was asking them. Who is handling Sabbath? An outsider in the camp or a priest? Or the priest? 
That's what Jesus asked them without asking them. So he points to, in Matthew 12 verse 5, he points to these guys handling stuff on the Sabbath without any repercussion. And then he tells them, basically, judge for yourself. If they could kill and circumcise and light fires and bake bread on the Sabbath and I cannot heal on the Sabbath, determine for yourself if the Sabbath is serving me or if I'm serving the Sabbath. Because if you looked at Jesus as the great high priest, you will not have the effrontery to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. That's why he tells them, he said, the Lord himself is Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord himself is the only one that can walk from rest. The one that walks in rest and it does not count as walk. <laughs> Speak to you, bail you out of tough times, give you direction in times of confusion, give you clarity, give you comfort and peace. He's doing all of that without doing anything. <laughs> because he's Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12 and 5. I'll just explain Matthew 12 verse 5. Yes, sir. Go back there. Have you not read in the law? So when you see this now, you will not go and look for a place that says, and the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and were blameless. Yes. Thus say it. Yes, Do you understand it now? Yes, but Jesus here took things that were written in the Old Testament and proffered the explanation or the interpretation borrowing from multiple different sources saying the same thing make sense okay is that clear all right verse five verse six then ah, yeah, yeah. go back to verse four i like the juice in this scripture go back to verse four now he entered the house of god and ate the showbread which was not lawful talking about david right for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priest okay or oh, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Yet I say to you, that in this place, there is one. The temple referring to not just the building, but the entire system of the law. The entire system of the law. Oh, you're okay. David could eat God's bread. Nothing happened. Carried, gave his followers, nothing happened. Priest could burn fire, kill, sacrifices, blah, blah, blah. Nothing happened. And you are worried that I'm doing stuff. When me, I'm greater than the temple. Even your temple had exceptions. Even your temple did not kill some people that were walking on the Sabbath. You are a priest. I'm the high priest. You value and honor the temple. One greater than the temple is here. Yes. The temple was great. Yes. One came who was greater. Yes. And he who is greater is in you. Yes. So Sabbath ain't got nothing yes. on you. Put it back on. Let's continue. Remember, we're coming from Isaiah 42. 
Uh-huh. Yet I say to you in this place, the one greater than the temple. Go on. But if you knew known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. We're talking Sabbath. If you had known what it meant when he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. Hosea 6 6. See God speaking through Hosea. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Hold on. Follow the thought of Jesus had just shown them how priests were offering burnt offerings on the Sabbath and not being punished. And the reason why these guys were offering burnt offerings on the Sabbath was because they were convinced it was what God wanted. Does that make sense now? It is God's will. For you to give him burnt offerings. After the Lord said that. Burn some sacrifices on the Sabbath. Make sense? So these guys are scurrying around. Burning all burnt offerings and all that. In the deception. That they are actually carrying out God's perfect will. But God says I desire mercy. And not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God. More than burnt offerings. So now Jesus comes in Matthew 12 and he's telling them, you are having issues with me doing stuff. When those guys burnt offerings and it was okay. And God allowed them to go scot-free because they were doing what they thought was his will. But if you understand when, when God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you will not be using Sabbath. To judge me for what I am doing. Because what I am doing now. Is actually what the Sabbath. Is supposed to be about. So actually the Sabbath. Was to create space. To dispense mercy. Stop every nonsense. Stop every dead work. Manifest the grace. Of God. That's what happens when you come into rest. You can now do Ephesians 2.10. Good works that he preordained that we should walk in. Stop the nonsense work that doesn't count for anything. Start to do the works in righteousness that are not works. Because that's what I really desire. So I wasn't telling you don't walk at all on the Sabbath. I was telling you shut down the nonsense. And you can actually see my will. Do you get it? You can actually see my will, my desire, which is what? Mercy. Grace. Compassion. Good works. So Jesus tells them in verse 7. If you knew what Hosea was referring to. When he said, I desire mercy, you will not ever have condemned the guiltless. In other words, everybody doing acts of mercy on the Sabbath is the one doing God's will. Yes, 
anybody sat at home feeling pious. I'm not going to turn on the light. I'm not going to kill the honey or the bee. I'm not going to swear it because it is the Sabbath. God said we should sit at home and not do anything. That's the hypocrite. Do you understand? God's intention for Sabbath was not for you to sit on your butt and do nothing. It was for you to not do anything pertaining to you. So the Sabbath day was supposed to be understood as a day of dispensing mercy. Does that make sense? Because good stuff was happening on the Sabbath. People were baking bread. Roasting barbecued for Jesus. Circumcising children. And a host of other things I don't have time to show you. There was activities going on on the Sabbath. So you want to be doing stuff enter the priesthood. Now you have entered the priesthood. Then do good works. You are now in the Sabbath. Do good works. Discern the Lord's body. Then you're in the Sabbath. Go back to verse 7. Let's proceed. Is anybody getting this? Matthew 12 and 7. But if you had known what this means, give me, give me the TPT. Let's see it. Let's see it in TPT. Verse 7. If you could only learn the meaning of the words, I want compassion more than sacrifice, you wouldn't be condemning my innocent disciples. Because all they are doing is eating grain because they are hungry. That should be the spirit of Sabbath. Does that make sense? Yes, if your neighbor is hungry, feed him. Yes, That's what the word says. Yes, so if you understood what Hosea meant, you will not be judging people for eating on the Sabbath. Verse 8. Go back to making James. Don't forget Isaiah 42. 1 to 4. Then he now says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Verse 9. Now when he departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. <laughs> Same day, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, drama queen. And major. Major. No chill at all. At all. Straight, you finish talking to them outside. You know, do you enter their synagogue? The headquarters of the Lord Moses. On the Sabbath. You didn't see people worshipping and praising God. You saw somebody with a withered hand. And they asked him, because you know, they asked him, go on. See now, okay. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? 11. Of how much more value then is a man than sheep? Quoting how Jesus asked them earlier, if which of you here on the Sabbath, your ox falls into a pit? You will say, no, it's Sabbath. Leave the cow there till tomorrow. So he says, this 
How much more value then is a man than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Go back to verse 11. He said to them, when a man is there, what man is there among you? Who has one sheep? And he falls into a pit on the Sabbath. And will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Give us antipity. Antipity. He answered to them, if any of you had a lamb that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you reach your hand and lift it out? Verse 12. Isn't a man much more valuable than a lamb? Of course. He's always proper to do miracles even on the Sabbath. 13 and you can dreams. Then he turned to the man and said, hold out your hand. Stretched out your hand and he stretched it out and he was restored as whole as the other. 14. Ah, Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Next one. Verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him. Same day. Same day. (laughs) Your disciples have eaten grain and corn. Jesus said, not guilty. You have now healed a man inside the synagogue. Same day. Not guilty. Left there and went. People followed him. With and he healed them all. What a busy day! And he has done nothing. Keep going, verse 16. Now, imagine Jesus after all the drama of that Sabbath now warned them. Protect my identity. Oh, please don't tell anyone I healed you all. I healed all of you. Don't tell anybody. Okay, okay, I know you have to tell people. Okay, don't tell them it was me. Who should we tell them? The chief priest? Who he lost? The Pharisee? We'll see where we're going. He warned them not to make it known that it might be fulfilled. That's where I was going. Which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, stop here. Go back to Isaiah 42 verse 1. One gospel. For all ages. Behold my servant whom I hold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Verse 2, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench. And he will bring forth justice for truth. Verse 4. And if you come, he will not fail or discourage that he establish justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. Matthew 12, 17. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying... Open quote. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Verse 12, chapter 42 of Isaiah says, in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit upon him. Can you see that? And he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Keep going, keep going, 19. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice 
in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name. So yes, I've healed you all. But I don't want noise and credit for it. I don't want noise. I don't want you going all over the street saying, Jesus healed me. Jesus, I know. Jesus healed. I, I didn't come for that. And he told them that, that he might be fulfilled. One of the ways you will know the Messiah is that he will not look for credit. One of the ways you'll identify him when he comes is that he will do stuff and downplay it. You don't hear his voice in the street. Imagine that guy that has been born blind. Born blind. They brought him to Jesus. He healed him and told the guy. Don't tell anybody. If it's you, will you keep your mouth shut? Born blind. Man. Even if he said nothing. By the time you see, ah, is this not this guy that was being 40 years old? He's been, he was born blind. They called the guy to the temple. And said, say the truth and give God the glory. Yeah. It's in the Bible. Yeah. He said, say the truth and give God the glory. <laughs> what, yeah, said, who, what happened to you? Who healed you? The guy said, I love his response. He said, me, I don't know what you guys are talking about. All I know is once I was blind. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, give God glory. I'm not interested. Arguing, arguing, arguing. Like the guy that in the early, early, late 80s, when the first Pathfinder came out, this Igbo guy in Kano bought the very first Pathfinder model, came, came to church. You know, and after service, he was telling his brothers, then Roadmaster was very popular. He was telling his brothers, hey, you will go, my Pathfinder. Can you see my Pathfinder? And the other guy was like, ah, Chinedu, it's not. What are you talking about? Say, my car, my, my Jeep in the, in the outside. So have you seen my Pathfinder? The guy said, oh, that car, it's a Pathfinder. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about if you have seen my Pathfinder outside, that I park outside after the church. He said, I, I, if it's the car you're talking about, I said, Chinidu, it is Pathfinder. I'm not, but, he said, you know what, now? I have the car, you can keep the name. <laughs> MC trouble. What is this all about? I have the car. You can keep the name. Huh? Because think about why you dragging name. When are you by the car park outside? Huh? Are you trying to correct me on the name of the car? When I'm not parking the case again, say, look at me see trouble. <laughs> I have the car now. Nah, you can keep the name. <laughs> when we close to the men's meeting, I will drive the car. Let's enter the name and drive the name. <laughs> what was that? So you call the guy and say, say the truth and show the devil. Give God the glory. What really happened? The guy's looking at you. He can see. Say, what's my problem with what happened? 
I don't know what his name is. I don't know what his head is. I don't know what to think of him. All I know is once I was blind, do with it what you want. Why was Jesus always telling them not to tell anybody? Because he didn't come for credit. He didn't come for noise. If he came for credit and noise, he would have negated the prophecy of Isaiah. Because Isaiah in 42 was referring to Jesus. Are you here? Can we proceed? Look at same Isaiah. Preaching the gospel. In Isaiah 6. Are you in class? Isaiah 6. Numbers 9. Actually, for context, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And then he said, Go and tell these people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing. But do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Matthew 13. We're referencing, right? See how the new is an explanation or an unpacking or a fulfillment of the old. Make sense? So everything in the Old Testament, Messianic prophecy. Everything in the New Testament, Messianic fulfillment. Does that make it simple enough for you to understand? Everything in the Old Testament, Messianic prophecy. Everything in the Old Testament, Messianic fulfillment. So we're living for the large part in the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. Right? Matthew 13, 13 to 15. Matthew 13, 13 to 15. Let me go from verse 11. Actually from verse 10, but I need 13 to 15. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? Disciples asking Jesus. And he answered to them, and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because keep going to 14. Keep going to 15. So he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, 9 to 10, and explains it. To fulfill Isaiah's prophecy was why he spoke in parables. Does that make sense? Yes. Because, oh, I don't know if you guys can handle this. 
In the divine salvation agenda of God, right, there was a provision for Israel to reject the gospel initially. That's the only way it would have gotten to us. Paul deals with this clearly in Romans. Does that make sense? The rejection, Israel's rejection of the gospel was in the divine plan of God for the gospel to filter down to Gentiles. Does that make sense? Now look at it this way. Jesus comes and he speaks in great plainness of speech such that everybody, even who is not ready, understands and therefore believes. It becomes a problem with the plan. Because some people will not receive this thing yet because of the timeline of God in the plan. So he now resorts to speaking in parables so that those who it's not given to understand at the time will not understand. Does that make sense? So he was speaking parables. People go away thinking, what nonsense is this guy saying? Then those unto whom it was granted to know. Go back to Matthew 13, 14. Go back to, let me see 13. Matthew 13, 13. Go, go, let me see 12. Give me 12 in the, let me see 12. 11. Maybe the first one. Great, 11. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. In other words, it has not been given to those. So I speak in parable, because it's unto you at this point in time. It is unto you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So when I speak to everyone in parables, I come to you guys. And you know, he always did that. He would call them aside and say, come, let me tell you the meaning of these parables. He didn't explain parables to the crowd. Put 11 back in Tiffity, Matthew 13, 11. He explained, you've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths and mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. So I was speaking parable. It's a plain message veiled in a story that you don't understand so that you can understand when I explain it to you. In doing that, we fulfill Isaiah's prophecy that they will hear and they will not understand. So Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 6 was referring to the gospel that Jesus will teach of the kingdom to those that will hear and not hear. Hearing they do not hear. Seeing they do not see. Understand they do not understand. Because unto them at the time was not given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So over and over, I'll show you a couple more. Isaiah 8. Over and over, all through the Old Testament, the gospel for all ages. Is it becoming clearer? Yes, sir. Isaiah 8, 13 and 14. I, I warned you, you'll see a lot of scriptures today. It might not be a very shouty message, but you are learning, you are being instructed yes. how to navigate your scriptures and realize that it's one message. Through and through. The Lord of hosts, the, hear him shall you hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. 14. He will be as a sanctuary. Look at this. But a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, Judah and Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'm sure that sounds familiar already. Rock of offense. Yes, sir. 
stumbling block. As I said it of Jesus. Then Peter comes in 1 Peter chapter 2, 7 and 8. <laughs> Hope you're writing reference, reference, reference. Because someday you meet somebody who begins to quote any of these scriptures out of context. You can say to them, come, let me show you what he meant. 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Hallelujah. But to those who are disobedient, open quote, take us to Isaiah 8. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Again, quoting Isaiah 8. Peter. They stumble, and he explains, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. They, Jews, disobedient Jews, unbelieving Jews. Rock of offense. That Isaiah prophesied he would be to the houses of Israel and to the inhabitants of Judah. Does that make sense? So it's dangerous to just pick Isaiah, pick one verse, and read it in obscurity. Same fate that Habakkuk 2 suffers. Write the vision. Make it plain. That they that read it will run with it. Though we tarry, wait for it. For it shall speak and not lie. Brethren, this scripture is telling us that every time God inspires you with a vision, write it down. <laughs> Whatever you don't write, you will not get right. must not be lazy in writing. How can God speak to you and you write it down? Well, how many of you have sat on that? Something similar. Oh, teach and teach and teach and teach and teach from that one place. And forget absolutely that that vision was not your, you and your idea of business. Hebrews 10. And this is just a short deviation. Hebrews 10. 35. Therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. 36. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God. You may receive the promise. Remember the promise from Friday. On Thursday, yeah. immortality, eternal life, yeah. resurrection from the dead, yeah. when Jesus returns for us, yeah. according to First Thessalonians 4, yeah. you may receive the promise, colon, we're about to explain that. 37, for yet a while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Quoting that scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2. And it also goes on to again quote another text in the same Habakkuk 2 that says, Now the just shall live by faith. It's in Galatians, it's in Romans, it's in Hebrews from Habakkuk. Yes, so, right there, you see another mer merger of two Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled 
in Hebrews chapter 10. Make sense? So the vision was talking about the person who will come and not lie. Though we tarry. And that's what we're doing now. Waiting to obtain the promise. Do we tarry? We are waiting. Because he that will come, will come. He is the vision. Shall come to pass in those days. I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions. Not visions of business. Visions of dead people. Visions of glory. Visions of the son of glory. That's all we are being caused to see is Christ. Are you here? So you see 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. He explains that about rock of offense. And then you see Psalm 118 verse 22. David also says the same thing that Peter references. Yeah? And we can allude that David probably saw it from Isaiah. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Straight up. David talking about Jesus. I'm trying to get to David. (laughs) I'm really trying to get to David, but he's very far away. (laughs) You know? Then Isaiah comes in chapter (laughs) 7. Have you seen the gospel everywhere? Yes, sir. Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 12. See this carefully. Before you say, Pav is just saying insulting things. But now, go to my place, which was in Shiloh. Okay, I'll come back to Jeremiah 7. This is Jeremiah 7. I, I went ahead of myself. But, uh, no. Okay, let me finish it. Because I skipped it earlier. 7.12. Jeremiah 7.12. Oh, what have I done to bring myself here? Oh, my God. Okay. But, <laughs> now go to my place, Jeremiah 7.12. Which was in Shiloh. Somebody say was. Was. Where I set my name at the first. That time. And see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people is because God destroyed Shiloh. Yes, <laughs> because of the wickedness of the people there. Israel. And now because you have done all this work, says the Lord, and I have spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust, and to this place which I give to you and your fathers, I will do as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. <sighs> okay. I mean, Isaiah 7, right? Go to Psalm 78. I was going to do this another day. I just, I just flipped on something totally unintended on my notes and I came here. But go to Psalm 78. I can hear certain questions in certain people's hearts. So let me take a little time and 
just read it, even if I don't explain all of it. Um, 56, for context. 56 till maybe 60. Yes, they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. Somebody say high places. And moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, 59, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel, 60, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men. There's a danger with looking for God in a place. He's not in a place. Now, people can argue all they want because they have all the noise and all the clout and all the influence and all the money. I stick with the scriptures. If Christ is in me, the hope of glory, that's more than enough. For me. What God cannot do for me in me no place can. You see, the conversations I would have if we will be willing to put aside sentiments and discuss scripture. Just forget sentiments for a minute. Forget standing by human parameters. Forget success by human standards. And just, just, talk, just talk scripture. Our allegiance is to the gospel. If we can't preach it, let's leave it and do business. So we stick with the gospel. Understand it. We're teaching you this thing. Pay attention to it. That you're profiting. First Timothy 4.15 might be evident to all. Pay attention to it. One gospel for all ages. That's the gospel that drives us. I don't think we're doing this for fun. I think we don't know what else to preach. I don't think we don't know how to take off our jacket and, and do this. We invented it. Do you understand? We wrote the manual for it. The people we served were the progenitors of charismatics. Don't think I'm, I happen to be a musician too. I can combine those two deadly powers. Use music and whip up this place into a frenzy. If I blow at you, you fall. And I didn't get it from the shrine. I would just, just pure psychology and intellect. And then let's add spirit to it. If the goal was to have people under their chair, or have people falling, See, it's easy. Some of you have seen it before. It's easy. Start at 6. By 6.10, you'll be under your chair. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. We've done it over and over and over and over. When you come out from your chair, what happened to you? After you pass out and come back, what grew in your faith? So, no, no, no. I, I go past throwing you under your chair. To keeping you on your chair so you can receive instruction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Because most of those power moves are actually efforts to self-validate our power. It's driven by ego. You want to feel like I'm powerful. And you too, you will not give if I don't show you power. You will not come if I don't show you power. You will not stay in church if I don't show you power. So I will show you power so you can tell I'm a powerful man of God. A mighty power, mighty man of God. But when ego is dead, when you are dead to these things, it doesn't matter who falls or who sleeps. What matters is that men are built up in the knowledge of the gospel. If they fall in the process, fine. But we don't get up with the intention of showing raw or cooked power. Raw power. I don't care if you fry the power or boil it. The raw power. The gospel. Relevant for all ages. As the singular message. We draw everything of life from the gospel. So the gospel and. The gospel then. No, it's the gospel. Full stop. Full stop. Gospel. Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you the gospel by which you are saved, in which you stand. Same gospel. Your salvation by the gospel, you're establishing Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. Now to him who is able to do what? Establish you according to my gospel. Not just save you. Establish you. 1 Timothy 2, 3. 1 Timothy 2, 3. God who will have all men be saved. 3 and 4. Have all men be saved and come. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have. Come on. All men. Give me King James. Who will have all men to be saved. And having been saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, 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 yes. Hebrews 13. I think it's 9. I think it's 9. For it's good for the heart to be established by grace. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. See that? Do not be carried about with, by various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established. It's good that the heart be what? Established by grace. The same grace by which you are saved through faith. Yes. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Grace is not just for the sinner. And grace is not what enables you to do well at work. I would do well by God's grace. That's not what the grace of God is for. So I'll show you Moses. (laughs) Show you Moses and the pilots with Moses and Jesus. And the gospel. All that Moses himself typifies. As well as the things he wrote of Jesus. When Jesus comes and stands in John 5 and says, Moses wrote of me. Then you should change how you are looking at the Old Testament. And sit down. And you can still get up and call this grace movement a stream. Moses wrote of me. One who will accuse you on that day is Moses. Beginning at Moses and the prophets, Luke 24. He began to expound to them in scriptures the things concerning himself. And he opened their eyes that they may comprehend the scriptures. The entire scriptures is his message. 
So both Moses as a person as well as the writings and teachings of Moses. I told you last week, why would Paul tell Timothy from when thou was a child? Thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Why will we see Philip went to Nathaniel and said, I have found the one of whom the scriptures wrote. He saw Jesus and said, I found the one of whom the scriptures wrote. Then Nathaniel said, where is he from? Philip said, he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I found the one of whom scriptures wrote. Anna the prophetess saw the baby. Said, this is the reason why I refuse to die. Joseph did not introduce Jesus to how. Do you realize that? It was by the spirit of God upon that old woman in the temple. She saw an eight day old Jesus. And her spirit rejoiced. And after that, she died. She didn't wait for him to die. After she saw, she saw, she saw him. Eight day old Jesus. She saw fulfillment of prophecy. And she said, this is what I've been waiting alive to see. Now I can die. Who introduced the baby Jesus to her as the savior of the world? But by the discernment of the spirit, she knew all I've been reading from Genesis to Malachi is now before me. All I've been studying in the books of Moses, in the law and the prophets, here he is. She blessed the Lord God and that was it, exited the stage. Because they all looked forward to him. They all did. That's why Hebrews 11 11 refers to them as heroes of the faith. By faith. By faith. By faith. By faith. By faith. They look forward to it. So we look at Moses and some of, I mean if I was going to do all of them. (laughs) We could be here for a year. If I was going to reference every Old Testament prophecy versus every New Testament fulfillment. And comb through. If I were ever going to do a daily devotional, that's what I would look at. If I were ever going to write a daily devotional, I would write a a devotional that is devoted to reconciling the old and the new. Pick a text of scripture from the old. Show you its textual application and show you its absolute fulfillment in the New Testament. Bring Christ out of it. If I were ever going to do a daily devotional, that's what I would do. There's one message. Leviticus, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah. Then we'll come to David. I have more than 20 to show you from David in the Psalms. In the Psalms. One after the other. Solomon, Ruth, and Naomi. And then we start to tie it all together. The audience of the gospel. What makes it relevant to all people is for the lost and for the found. It's for the Jew and for the Gentile. It's for the sinner and for the saint. It's for the rich and for the poor. It's for the broken and for the whole. It's for the villager and the town dweller. It's for the literate and the illiterate. It's for the old and the young. It's for the weak and the strong. It is for the new in faith and the advanced in faith. And I will break this down for you one after the other. So you understand that at no point in your walk do you feel you have outgrown the gospel. At no point in your world do you feel like we can now leave the gospel sufficiently and go on to another message. 
At no point in the gospel. At no point in the gospel are we going to feel like, you know what, yeah, we got this. Now let's go on to other things. The gospel that by which you're saved, in which you stand. Tell anyone in which you stand. Same gospel that establishes you. So we don't change the message because of the persons. It's the same message. We don't change the message because of the times. Same message. We don't change the message because of convenience. Same message. Same message. And if you despise this message, nothing else can help you. Nothing else can help you. And you look at your life and realize that your life is a direct reflection of what you despise or what you honor. It's a principle. Your life gravitates in the direction of your ideals. If you value the gospel, the gospel manifests and plays out in your life. If you despise the gospel, your life cannot but follow what you despise. Because if you despise one thing, it's because you chose to honor something in its place. Does that make sense? Despise is the absence of honor. Just like darkness is the absence of light. Does that make sense? So if you decided to despise a thing, it's because the honor you should have given it, you have diverted to something else. So your life follows that thing. The gospel is not for you to play with. Especially you young folks. They're not going to be 24 forever. They're not. You're growing up really quickly. And very time, very soon time will come when you realize, I should have paid attention. Because your, ide- your entire ideals are shaped by the gospel. It's the culture. Has anybody received instruction? It's okay to go ahead and give God praise. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at wathechurch. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.